The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Welcome to Genesis. Glad you guys are here. It's Christmas. Is anyone excited about it being Christmas? I'm so excited I put a tie on tonight. I was telling a friend back there I only wear a tie at a wedding, a funeral, or a Christmas time. So um, welcome again to Genesis. My name is Michael, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you've been tonight's your first night. It's certainly a special welcome to you. Thanks for coming and being with us. Uh, we're starting a brand new series tonight called The Sounds of Christmas, and over the next four weeks, uh, we'll do four messages in this series, uh, taking a look at the different sounds that we hear at uh, Christmas time. And uh, tonight, we're going to listen to the sound of screaming. Um, all right, so it's Christmas. Does anyone love Christmas, or are you just tolerating Christmas, or what's the deal? How many people love Christmas? All right, see, I love Christmas. I love, like, gifts. I love getting gifts. Does anyone love getting gifts? Come on, be honest. How many people love waking up and opening a few presents? I love giving gifts. I love thinking what creative gifts I will be able to give uh, friends, especially my wife. I'm excited about the gift. Kyler, are you even in here? Sweet. Well, well, I'll tell you that before Christmas morning. I promise you that. I love uh, Christmas food. I had my first drink of eggnog. There is a brand new eggnog out called French Vanilla Eggnog, and if we could serve it for communion, I would. It is the most phenomenal drink I think I've ever had in my life. Uh, vanilla eggnog uh, can be bought at Market Basket for $1.99. I love Christmas decorations. I love what our spatial design team, kudos to them, yes? All right. I love uh, white lights. I am a fan of uh, Clark Griswold. Uh, I would not go as far as he would, but man, I respect him. I love when I drive by people's yards. Some people are like Christmas on steroids and there's like animals and some you're not sure if they're actually living or uh, just inflatable things. And sometimes it's fun to sneak into people's yards and switch around the animals into, I'm just kidding, I've never done that. <laughs> but I absolutely love Christmas and I'm excited over these next uh, few weeks to uh, journey with you uh, together as a community, uh, taking specifically a look at uh, the sounds of Christmas. I don't know about you, but often uh, Christmas there is one sound uh, that is heard really loud, and it's the sound of screaming. And I don't know if the month of December in particular, uh, what I'm going to communicate with you guys tonight is uh, I love Christmas, but it's typically filled with a lot of worry and anxiety. Now, I'm probably just preaching to myself tonight. I'm sure there's not any other person in here who deals with worry and anxiety. But typically, especially at Christmas time, you get worried, like freaked out worried about things that you're going to have to buy for people with money that you don't have. Uh, you're going to have to see people that you typically don't see. And maybe they, seeing them brings up painful memories, uh, painful past. Uh, maybe there will be people that you won't see at Christmas. Uh, I have a, a great friend of mine from back home in uh, Columbus, Ohio, whose son died uh, at the age of 17. And uh, every Christmas, because it's so painful, it's so difficult, uh, he's taken his family, uh, which uh, his wife has now died, and he goes to Vegas. 
Uh, he's not like a gambler. He's not anything like that. He just goes just to literally escape because the Christmas morning is just too painful. And so he would prefer to go to a place where he doesn't have memories of uh, his son. So that might be a reality for some of you. It's the, the worry or anxiety that comes with people that you will not see uh, this year. Maybe it's, um, I know no one probably here has a dysfunctional family, but um, when you get your entire family together, it's just weird and crazy and things get said and uh, that can be, uh, cause a lot of worry and angst uh, alone. Or maybe it is alone. Uh, maybe it's not a family, dysfunctional family that causes worry or anxiety. Uh, it's actually the thought of having to spend another Christmas without family or another Christmas literally alone of thinking, what am I going to do with myself this Christmas morning? Usually, the month of December, there is a sound that can be heard really, really loud, and it's the sound of worry, uh, the sound of anxiety. It's the sound of what I'm calling is screaming. And usually, it's not just December that causes people uh, to be worried or filled with anxiousness. Uh, it's really a life that is filled with worry and anxiety. And the month of December just amplifies the noise in your life uh, that much louder. This is my uh, childhood friend, Sad Eyes. Say hi to Sad Eyes. I've had him since I was about four years old. And uh, now it belongs to my son, Tristan. Um, surprisingly, it has no holes or tears or rips. I got really mad. I don't know if you can see this, but I was, uh, you know, I had issues, I guess, when I was a child, and I didn't know how to deal with them, and so I wrote all over Sad Eye's face because I was mad at him. I'm not sure what he did, but I hope you forgive me. Anyways, I brought Sad Eye's tonight uh, because we had this deal in my family that uh, I was the youngest of five kids, and um, anytime we would take things like road trips or just in the car, and we would do, since five kids back in the 70s, uh, plane travel wasn't as accessible, and so we would always have to drive everywhere we would go. I remember one trip we went out to California. We lived in Chicago at the time. Chicago and California is more than a few miles, and in the back seat of a big blue station wagon, uh, it was a nightmare. And so my dad had this rule of, you know, anytime you were starting to get just freaked out or worried or anxious, like, can I get out of the car yet? We would have this rule of, uh, instead of talking or complaining, uh, everyone had their own pillow. My pillow was sad eyes. And so the deal was we would scream as loud as we possibly could into uh, our pillow. Now, I'm not going to do this tonight because I'm amplified, but I count bearing gifts because it's Christmas time. And here is a scream pillow. If someone would demonstrate for us, you get to keep your own pillow. So who is willing to be a screamer tonight? Noah, thank you so much. I need a woman. Thank you, Miss Sterling. And just someone in the back. I don't know who's going to catch that, but pick it up. Put your face in the pillow and scream as loud as you can. Just go for it. Just let it out, man. Whatever worries, anxieties you have, let it go in the pillow. You're laughing. Let it out, man. Go for it. Now, how does that feel? It, it felt pretty good, didn't it? Who's got another pillow? Go for it. Come on. Yes. Yes. It's, I don't know who has the third pillow, but whoever has it. 
I don't know. Whoever that was might need some extra counseling. That was, that was kind of weird. Now, the deal with the pillows was it was great fun. It made us laugh, uh, but it only worked to a certain extent. And so my question is, when you get worried, filled with anxiety, uh, you can either walk around with a pillow, uh, which would be kind of silly, uh, or you're left to deal with, what do I do when I am literally filled with so much worry and filled with so much anxiety? So what do you do when you are struggling uh, with literally just wanting to scream? And if we're honest with ourselves, and I hope that we will always be honest, at least with ourselves, is that a lot of us, if not a majority, if not all of us, at some level or another, struggle with worry and anxiety. And it's only amplified in these next few weeks as we head towards uh, Christmas. Medically speaking, I brought some, I wanted to do some research for you. And these are some interesting, because if you don't deal with worry, anxiety, it actually will not only have spiritual implications, which we're going to talk about, but it will have physical implications. Difficult swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tensions, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, am I describing anyone in this room, trembling and twitching, suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, um, muscle tension, short-term memory loss. That's what my problem is. I didn't see that one. <laughs> Premature coronary artery, artery disease, heart attack. In severe cases, excessive worrying, high anxiety, if they go untreated, can lead to things like depression, even suicidal thoughts. Now, in a couple different medical journals uh, of people who wrote articles on how does one actually deal with uh, worry, how does one deal with anxiety, because uh, if you can't walk around with a pillow, what do you do? Um, one is talk to your doctor. I'm not sure if that uh, would be helpful. Exercise daily. I've tried that, and I tend to get more stressed out that I'm terrible at exercising daily, daily and then I get worried. Uh, eat healthy. That has not worked for me. Uh, drink caffeine in moderation. I don't understand moderation. I only do things in excess. Uh, be conscious of your worries. <laughs> I thought this was a good one. Learn to relax. Like, if I could learn to relax, I probably wouldn't be so worried. Uh, have a strong social network? Well, a lot of people are worried because they don't have friends, so I'm not sure how that works. Uh, and I thought these last two, uh, this is like a medical journal, okay? I am, I'm not making this up for a laugh, I promise. Uh, the last two are very interesting. Uh, one says, bore yourself calm. And it gives you an example Repeat a feared thought over and over, and it will become boring and will go away. So if your fear is dying of cancer, I'm not kidding, dying of cancer, look in the mirror and say, I may die of cancer, I may die of cancer. Say it enough, and it will lose its power over you. And I was like, someone got paid to write that? Are you serious? I thought this one was even better. Make yourself uncomfortable. Worriers feel that they can tolerate, can't tolerate discomfort, but if you practice discomfort, you will accomplish a lot more. So it's like bring self-inflicted pain onto yourself. And so when all these things that you're worrying about, it won't be as bad as the discomfort that you have learned to bring upon yourself.
All of this to say, what do you do when you are screaming? What do you do when the sound of your life is one of just a constant scream of a life filled with worry or a life just riddled with anxiety? Well, my hope uh, tonight as we're kicking off the Sounds of uh, Christmas uh, series is I wanted to ask this question. Do you believe that it's possible? Do you believe that it's possible to live a life without any worries? I'm not talking about just a lackadaisical, I don't really care about anything in my life, or I don't care about anyone, or I don't care about anything that happens. Do you honestly believe that it is possible to live a life free from the shackles or bondage of worry? Free from uh, the shackles or chains of being anxious. I want you just, if you can, in your mind's eye, picture what that life might actually look like. And ask yourself, is that a life that I would want to live? Now, most of us find our identity in how much we worry. How many people I personally know that when they describe themselves, oh, I'm just a worrier. I just worry about everything. And if you take away worry from them, it's like, well, I don't know who I am then to the point where we often make up things to be worried about, things that don't even exist. The possibility of them happening are so slim, but we spend our hearts and minds thinking, dwelling uh, on these things. So is it possible? And if it is possible, what do you imagine a life without screaming, a life without worry, anxiety, would actually look like? God not only desires that we would live that life. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be uh, as bold as I can to say you, he commands us that we would be a people, that we would be individuals that would have no worries, that would have no anxieties. Those words would not be a reality in our life, not even in our vocabulary. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that um, tonight you would just do uh, something amazing in our midst. Father, this is such a real subject, such a real topic that uh, every human heart in here tonight uh, has dealt with, is potentially even struggling with, a life that is made up of just so much worry, uh, so much anxiety, that it leaves us literally screaming, not just at Christmas time or in December, but in January through November. So Father, I believe uh, with all my heart because your word uh, teaches and you proclaim it, that it is possible uh, to live a life free from worry and free from anxiety. And God, I pray that tonight uh, we would be a people, a community that would be set free from worry, set free from anxiety. God, only you can do that. So I pray you would use any words that uh, would come from my mouth and God, more importantly, use words from Jesus' mouth in your story, the Bible, the scriptures, to show us what a life of freedom from worry and anxiety, from screaming, actually looks like. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'd tell you we're giving Bibles away, but we're running out of them, so uh, I think there's two left. Uh, if you want one of those two, go and grab one. It's our gift to you. Uh, but I'm going to be uh, taking a look at uh, nine verses in particular in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so if you do have a Bible with you, uh, you want to read along on the screen or uh, 
look on with your neighbor. Uh, this is uh, a section of scripture that actually comes from uh, what's known as just the Sermon on the Mount. And in nine short verses, Jesus says three times, do not worry. So I'm going to just tell you up front the whole point of these nine verses. Jesus makes very clear, ridiculously clear, three times in nine short verses, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. So that's the whole point. Now, the background of all of the Sermon on the Mount, this is some very highly practical living lifestyle that Jesus is teaching us how to live. And one of his favorite phrases is this, you've heard it said like this, but I tell you this, meaning people were living very confused lifestyles. They were being led astray by the religious elites of the day who were saying, no, this is what God's word says and this is what you're supposed to do. And Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said like this, but I tell you this. This is what it means. And the focus in all of these verses that we're looking at tonight and that in all of the Sermon on the Mount is on the internal, not the external. God is wanting to deal with our hearts uh, because if we don't deal with what's going on inside, Outside is going to be a mess. We can put Band-Aids on, we can dress ourselves up and look pretty, but if the inside is rotting away, if it's d dealing with anxiety and worry, eventually it will show up in our exterior. So Matthew 6.25 says this, it says, therefore, now I stop at the word therefore because um, it's there for a reason. So anytime in scripture you see the word therefore, you have to be like, huh, that's interesting. Why is that there for? And so just back up usually a verse, maybe two, maybe five, ten verses and say, why is this right here? Why does it say therefore? And the few verses that before Jesus uh, teaches on worry in Matthew 6, 24, just one verse, he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that an interesting opposite? You would think Jesus would say, you can't serve God and Satan. It's a very weird opposite to me, that it says you can't serve God and you can't serve money. It's like, money? What are you talking about? Like, what, can't serve Satan, right? That's what Jesus meant to say. But Jesus knew the power, the influence, the impact that money would have over people over humanity, the ability to control who we are, what we do, what we think about, and ultimately if we're, at the, uh, we're serving our master, so to speak, as money, we'll be a people filled with worry, filled with anxiety. So he says a person can only have one master, not two. Our love, attention, affection, our worship can only be given to one, not both. And so if you really want to know from the get-go if you want to have a life that is set free from worry, it begins with a choice. And your choice is, who are you going to serve? Who will be the master of your life? If it is God, then there is good news that you have uh, been given the command not to worry. So if God is your master, the one that you serve, the one that you've given your life to, then worry and anxiety will be a thing of the past. But if money or anything else, we'll pick on money because that's what Jesus says, is your master, the one that you've given yourself to, 
man, you are in trouble, right? I don't have to convince you of that. I mean, just look at the economy, right? Talk about being up and down and all over the place. One day stocks are up like 500 and next, you know, it's all over the place. If that was my God, if that was the one I was choosing to serve, I would be freaking out all the time. And how many people do you know in your life, maybe you're one that is so filled with worried because this economy and everything else that's impacted because of that is all over the place. So being free from worry begins with a choice. The choice is clear. Whom will you serve? Make money your God, and you're going to be plagued with worry and anxiety. But if God is the one that you serve, I'll just tell you this promise. You won't have to deal with worry. You will not have to deal with anxiety. I'll just, why? Because he's God. And from what we know of God, it's revealed to himself, of himself in scriptures, what he's revealed to us because of Jesus He's good, he's faithful, he's constant, he's consistent. I don't need to worry if the one that I'm following is in fact God. So whom do you serve? This is a big question and it will largely determine if you will live a life free from worry. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, 25, 34. I'm not going to read a few verses at a time. And so therefore, if God is the one you're following, therefore... Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Isn't it really cool? Isn't it amazing that God tells us we don't have to worry? Do not worry. How many rulers and dictators and kings, even in today's day and age, Use things like worry and anxiety to control the people. The thought being, if I create enough angst, enough worry amongst them, if they're worried about where their next meal, where shelter, where food, where protection will come from, maybe if they worry enough about those things, they will do exactly what I tell them to do in hopes that I will provide for them. How many rulers, authorities, and kings operate like that? How amazing is it that God says, that is not me. That is not how I rule. That is not what my king and kingdom look like. If you are one who follows God, he sets you at ease and says, you do not have to worry. You do not have to have anxiety. It's an amazing gift. Jesus says, do not worry about your life from food, drink to the clothes you will wear. Jesus is talking about daily necessities of life. He's not talking about the luxuries. He's talking about daily necessities, not the luxuries of life. Now, you might say, I don't really have to worry about food. I don't have to worry about clothing or drink or outside of an occasional, you know, sit down at Cheesecake Factory. Have you ever seen their menu? It's like the Bible. It's like the book of Leviticus. I mean... I get worried when I sit down at Cheesecake, and I honestly have always gotten the same meal because I'm too lazy to look through 100 pages of options and choices. Outside of maybe the occasional wardrobe crisis of what am I going to wear tonight? We, generally speaking, are not a people that are worried about the daily necessities of life being um, not met. We are typically worried because not of a lack of supply, 
but we're worried from being overwhelmed with the choices that we have. Here's a question for you. Are your greatest worries that which are daily needs, or are your worries actually driven more by your desire for more, for excess? Honestly, most of us would have to say it's not that we're worried about if I can afford uh, a Happy Meal at McDonald's. Most of us, the worry anxiety is driven by our desire for more, for the luxuries, for the excess in life. Worrying about daily needs, it's not needed because if you're following God, he is your master, the one that you, have, you are serving, then worrying is not needed. But if God is not the one that you're following and what you're really worried about is hoarding and amassing more, I just say pretty boldly, you're missing the entire point of life. And Jesus, I love five questions Jesus asks us in these nine verses. Anytime in scripture you see Jesus ask a question, be like, okay, I need to stop, I need to write it down, I need to think about this, because if it's Jesus asking the question, he was phenomenal at asking questions, questions that penetrated to the heart and soul of a human being. And so Jesus five times asks five amazing questions. Here's question one that Jesus asks. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? This is Jesus' way of asking what is it really, what really matters in life? When you examine your existence, when you examine your life, what is it honestly that really matters? Is it really food? Is it really clothing? Is it really your body and pleasures that you can get with your body? Or how you adorn yourself? I mean, what really matters in life? This is a phenomenal question that Jesus asked. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Is there any of us who look at our hands and our feet and our hearts and our minds and say, God, you could do so much more with this body if it was given over to you. But yet it's just filled with how am I going to get off next? My next pleasure, my next fix. How will I adorn myself to look more beautiful? Is not life more important than these things that we often get so worried about. It's a great question of what really matters most to you. And again, how you answer that question will largely determine your freedom from worry. Because if you chase what does not matter most in life, you are going to be filled with worry and anxiety. Primarily from the fact of, am I, am I getting it? Or am I missing the point? You will always be worried, filled with anxiety of, am I missing what's most important? I don't know if you knew this, but you only get one shot. I personally don't believe in incarnation. I've never met a person who has incarnated uh, before, um, has come back and is now like an animal. Or uh, You get one shot at life. This is a huge question of what matters most in life. Consider what Jesus says next. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, I don't know really squat about birds, but I do know this. They, don't, they build nests, and they work 
way to get food. Uh, I hear that something happens in the morning, that's when they get the good food, and if they don't work in the morning, then I guess they don't get food. But the point is, they don't like build barns, they don't build like warehouses where they're storing all of this food. Do you know why they don't do that? Because somehow built into their little bird brain is this thought that says they don't have a fear that the food that was here today will somehow be gone tomorrow. A lot of us have a thought, an idea of God that he is exhaustible. That somehow God might run out of resources. That somehow my needs will not get met because God's warehouse or storehouse is just, there's not enough in it. And if that might not be your struggle, then your struggle might be this. It's not that I don't believe that God doesn't have enough. It's I actually believe that God has enough and will not give to me uh, what I need. It's the thought that God's holding out on me. God will not provide for my, my needs, whatever they might be. It's kind of like he lacks the desire. He doesn't care. He's indifferent. He's not concerned about your needs. And so Jesus seeks to correct these, this, that thought with his second question. Did you catch it? His second question is, are you not much more valuable than birds? This is an argument that Jesus is making from the lesser to the greater. The lesser being a bird, the greater being humanity. Have you ever walked around and thought to yourself, my goodness, it's amazing how much God loves that bird. I wish God would love me and provide for me like he does that little Tweety. I mean, that bird has it so good. I mean, it must be nice having a God who takes care of that bird. I mean, Jesus is being a, a bit comedic here of, are you serious? If, if God will provide for a bird, a bird, how much more would he provide for you? How much, if a bird, you are a person who has been created in the image of God. You bear his image. How much more, if he will take care of a bird, how much more will he provide and take care of you? If God is a good father and he provides for birds, how much more will he provide for you? This is hard for some people to believe, but you are of great value and great worth to God. And can I just say, it's not because of your performance. Like, this is why it's such good news. God has set his affection, his love, his kindness, his provision on you because you are valuable to him. Not because of what you've done or will have not done, because that's who God is. He is good, and he is bent on providing for you and for me. Like, where else is that message in this culture? Your value and worth and significance is based on what? Your performance. If you perform well enough, kudos to you. Applause is to you. But if you don't perform, you are worth nothing. 
this is such good news, such refreshing, such encouraging news to me that my value and worth and significance, my dignity is not based on my performance. It's based on God who from heaven screams out loud in his son, Jesus, you have worth and value. If I take care of that silly bird over there, Michael Davis, how much more will I take care of you? Whatever your needs might be, you are of great value and worth. How do I ultimately know that? One of my favorite verses is Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God didn't even hold back his one and only son so that we could have a perfect relationship with him, why on earth would we ever get the thought in our head that God would not provide? All of these things, Jesus is trying to scream to us, you do not need to worry. You do not need to have anxiety. Why? Look at who God is. You're valuable. You have worth. And he will provide. Please catch this. God is gracious to give us what we need and when we need it. That might be hard to hear. I don't give my kids every single thing they ask me for. That would not be loving at all. It's not a loving thing just to give someone anything and everything that they ask for. What is the most loving thing and what God has done is he's met our greatest need, which was we were separated from him, but because of Jesus, he met that, our greatest need. And every need in between, he will meet those needs. Question for you. How much time in your day, in 24 hours, do you spend on worrying? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, four hours, six hours? How much time do you spend on worry? Be honest with yourself. I mean, these are uh, the moments of your day where you're just really not getting anything done, daydreaming, so to speak, because you're worrying about something. Or you're not sleeping much at night because you're, I mean, how much time do you give to worry? Because Jesus asks another great question. His third question really is in verse 27, it speaks to the futility of worry. Matthew 6, 27 who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? This is Jesus' kind way of saying, worrying is a waste of time. How much of your life, how much of your time is just wasted because you are spending it in worry? I mean, Jesus is being kind and he's just saying, guys, it's a waste of time to worry. Because if you know God, you're in relationship with God. You're just wasting time. You ever been stuck in a ditch? It's going to happen to a few of you this winter, right? Where you get stuck in a snow mound or something like that. If that's ever happened to you, typically you just press on the gas and your wheels just keep spinning and spinning. How many of you, if you're stuck in a ditch, would just keep pressing on your gas thinking, well, I'm spinning. It's, something's happening. Eventually, I don't know, the hole might get big enough. I might fall into it and then the car will shoot up. I mean, at some point, you take your foot off the gas 
You get outside the car, you put some sand aboard, you dig, you do something, but you just don't keep sitting with your foot on the gas, spinning round and round and round. Our thought is, well, it's accomplishing something. This is the futility of worrying. It's like sitting in a car stuck in a ditch with your foot on the gas, spinning round and round and round. We somehow trick our minds, our hearts to thinking, this is doing something. Not sure what it's doing, but I think it's doing something. Jesus' point is clear. Who of you, by worrying for one moment, can actually add a single hour to your life? Should make us, this question should make us stop and think of, is what I'm doing, is what I'm worrying about, what are you actually worrying about right now? And by worrying about it, is it actually helping? Are you making progress? Pick your problem, pick your pain, pick your need. By you worrying about it, have you accomplished anything? Have you gotten any further into or away from whatever the issue might be? Jesus' point, it's, it's futile. It's such a waste of time, such a waste of energy, and such a waste of life. Take the number that you had. And I'd venture, if we're honest, most of us would have to be at least above an hour of thought given over to worry and anxiety. What would you do with that hour back? What would you do with those six hours back? What would you do if you started sleeping at night, not medicated, because you didn't have worry anymore? You didn't have anxiety anymore? Jesus is... uh, His questions just cut right to the heart. Uh, Because this other question is what you're actually, uh, uh, his fourth question, verse 28, is this. Chapter 6, verse 28. And why, why do you worry about clothes? The question is, is what you're really worried about, is it really that meaningful or significant on an eternal scale? On an eternal eternal scale is what you're really consumed with worry anxiety is it really that significant and it really drives home to a very important point if you are at the center of your worry if what you're really worried is is all driven about you you're going to fail to see two things you're going to fail to see god provide and you're going to fail to hear what god declares over you If you are really at the, I mean, how many of us are worried about the three million people who are going to wake up tomorrow and live on less than a dollar a day? Probably not many of us. Or how many homeless people tonight in Boston are going to be freezing cold because temperatures will be around 20 degrees? And Jesus says, you're you're worried about clothes, how you're going to adorn yourself? He goes on in uh, verse 28 and says, see... How the lilies of the field grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon. Solomon's a bigwig in the Old Testament, so to a Jewish audience, they would be like, wow, he's bringing up Solomon. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I'm not a botanist. I didn't take any botany classes at, uh, in college. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that lilies don't have a will or an instinct of their own to like somehow, we got to labor, we got to do some spinning now, 
because we're in springtime, we need to look beautiful, so we need to do all of these things. No, God makes all of that happen. There's not like fields of lilies that are like worried, like, hey, you're not looking too ripe over here. Hurry up, hurry up. They're just not filled with worry. So the point being, if God can provide for birds, and if he takes what is temporary, a field of grass filled with lilies, how much more will God provide for you? I mean, Jesus is making this so simple. He's looking at a a field of grass with lilies in it, and he's looking at birds. He's not even like getting people to think about the cosmos, or even like the human body. A bird and lilies. If God can take care of that, how much more will he take care of you? Jesus' fifth and final question uh, cuts to really uh, heart of an issue here. He says, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's his fifth and final question in these nine verses. And so my question out of that to you is, does your faith permit a God who will provide for your daily needs? Does your faith in God say, my God will provide for my daily needs? Does your faith permit you to believe that you have great worth, value, and significance in the eyes of your creator? Because that's who God has declared you to be. Does your faith permit you to say, I need not worry because God is God and he will provide? Because Jesus doesn't hold back. He says, if you got worry and anxiety, you got little faith. Because God is so much bigger than what you're actually worrying about. That's hard. I used to struggle with worry a lot. I used to struggle with anxiety uh, a lot. But then I realized that when I worry and when I'm filled with anxiety, I'm sinning. So I don't struggle with it. When I worry and when I have anxiety, I'm actually sinning never actually heard someone come out of the closet, so to speak, and say, if you worry, that's a sin. No, it's not, Michael. I got three verses in the span of nine that speak to do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. It's not a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not implied. It's a command. And it's coming straight from the lips of Jesus, the Son of God. And I love that it comes from him because Jesus is almost saying, man, if you knew who my father was, man, if you knew who God was, your life would be filled with joy and peace, worry and anxiety. What do you mess around with these things for? So I confess to you uh, that I sin with worry. I don't struggle with worry. When I worry, I'm coming to the realization or come to the realization I am sinning. You might not like hearing that because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm sinning now like 20 more times a day than I thought I was. Jesus says, do not worry. It's not a struggle. It's not an issue we have. It's sin. Jesus, for the second time in these nine verses, gives the command, verse 31 and 32, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is a really interesting thing with worry. Your life communicates a message. Didn't know if you knew that, but it does. What message do you communicate back to God when your life is filled with worry and anxiety? 
Honestly, the message that you communicate back to God is says, you are so small, you're being a bad, doing a bad job at being God. You don't care or you just don't have the resources to provide. That's the message it sends to God when we are filled with worry and anxiety. God, you're a bad God because if you were good, I wouldn't have to worry about these things. That's the message we send to God. He says, what are you doing, man? Even the pagans, people don't even know God. What message, if you're a person who is here tonight that claims to have faith, a relationship with God through Jesus, and you are living a life that is just filled with worry and anxiety, what message does that send to a watching world? If I was a person who didn't believe in God, and I met someone who believed in God, and they worried about everything, I'd be like, well, why on earth would I place my faith in a God that you are, your life is nothing but one constant worry? If God can't provide for you, what on, why on earth would I believe in a God like that? I know this is really hard, but it's true. When my life is just worry and anxiety, I am communicating a message vertically to God, and I'm communicating a message horizontally to humanity. And I don't know about you, but that's not the message I want to communicate to the God I love, and it's not the message that I want to communicate to the community that is around me. love for us as a community, whether you've been here for a couple years or you're here tonight for the first time, for us to say, you know what, the message of my life, the message, the song that is going to start being screamed from my life is not one of worry and anxiety, but is one that says, God, he's my heavenly father, he knows all, and he provides for all of my needs. Jesus finishes with these two last verses in chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. This is a good one. It says, if you're going to really live a life free from worry, uh, these two verses uh, are crucial. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Third time the command is given. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seeking, a king, seeking his kingdom simply means that you live a Godward life, a Christ-centered life. You know who your king is and you know which kingdom you're part of. That's what it means to seek first his kingdom. And the beauty of one who actually knows who his king is and what kingdom he is in and part of and forcefully advancing is we need not have any worry or anxiety because our king is good and our king will provide. I love that verse where it says, he knows everything that you need and he will provide it. All of these things as you pursue his kingdom, his righteousness, all of these things will be added and given to you as well. This command is repeated three times. Therefore, do not worry. We don't have to worry because of who God is, because we have great value, worth, and significance in his eyes, because he's a good father, and he knows all of our needs. There's just no need to worry. 
not today, not tomorrow. You know why I don't need to worry about tomorrow? Because God is there. I, I just, God is going to be God tomorrow. He has no beginning, no end. I, I just, I don't need to worry about that. God will be there tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough issues, troubles of its own. God will be there and God will provide and God will take care. Is there anyone, as I, we get ready to celebrate communion, I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who would not only love to live through December, not screaming, but to live a life that is actually free from worry and anxiety. And I want you to see this is not just a command, it's really a gift. What a gift that God says, you guys don't have to worry because I'm good. I will take care and I will provide. It's, it's such a gift. It's such a gift. If you're going to do it, two things. You're going to choose whom you're going to serve. The second one is you're going to choose whose kingdom you will seek. If this command that was given tonight in Scripture is it all condemning to you, like, oh my gosh, I just feel so condemned because this is such my life of one that is filled with worry, I hope that you will not see this as condemnation, but you will see this as a command to set you free. To set you free from a life of being filled, plagued, riddled with anxiety, riddled with worry. We're created, we're called, and we're commanded not to worry. And if you trust, I don't worry about my wife cheating on me. If she's like 10 minutes late from somewhere where she said she was going to be, I'm not first thought in my head, my goodness, she's uh, probably at a hotel right now. You know why I don't think that? Because I know my wife. I know she's good, and I know she loves me. And I know as her husband, as her best friend, I have value and worth in her eyes, and I trust her. Where there is trust, there is no need to worry. No need to have anxiety. If you trust God, be free from worry. Be free from anxiety. Tonight, I just want to close and, and spend a few moments in prayer as we celebrate communion. And if you've made a decision to say, I know who my king is. His name is Jesus. I know what kingdom I'm part of. I know who I'm serving and I know who I am pursuing, seeking his kingdom. Let tonight be an incredible opportunity for you to take God up on another invitation, another command that he gives you. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. I just taught this to my kids the other day. Because I want them to know from age 5, 4, and 2, my little two-year-old's almost got it. He doesn't need to waste any time in his life worrying or having anxiety. Man, if they can catch that now, whew, how beautiful would that be? If you are a person who has made a decision to follow Jesus, but yet your life has worry, anxiety, would you do this tonight before you celebrate communion? Would you cast your anxieties on him, him, capital H, meaning God, and I love the reason, because he cares for you. Would you own that? 
If you're a Christian, a Christ follower, and you have worry anxiety, which all of us do, would you do this tonight? Before you would come and celebrate what Jesus has done, would you cast your anxieties and worries on him because he cares for you? And when you leave this place, leave that bag here. I thought about buying all of you a piece of luggage just so you'd remember. You don't have to live life carrying luggage. Drop the bags here tonight at communion table and do not pick them up ever again. Be free. And if you have not yet made a decision of whom you will serve and whose kingdom you will seek, man, Jesus gives you an invitation tonight like none other. This Christmas season, you will not receive another invitation greater than this. And this is Matthew 11. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you need to cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And some of you need to cast your life on the person of Jesus because he will give you rest. He will give you rest. Spend a few moments in prayer. And as you're ready, as we do each and every night at Genesis, is we celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a great privilege, it's a great joy for us as a community uh, to say, Jesus, we want to remember you. We remember what you've done. You lived a perfect, sinless life. You died a very, very painful death in my place, so I did not have to. And you rose victoriously, resurrected on the third day. That if I would place my faith, my hope, and my trust in the life of Jesus, I too would have life. I too would be made right with God. Sins are forgiven, and I have peace with God because of Jesus. As you are ready, spend these moments in prayer. Cast anxieties on him, and do not pick them up again, because he cares for you. And if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus as your king, make that decision now. Invite him to come into your life and say, I declare you are my king. Cast your life on his. Father God, thank you that you are a God who tells us we do not have to worry. Father, I pray that you would hear the prayers offered up in this community. And Father, I pray there would be a multitude of, of worries and anxieties being cast upon you right now. And Father, if there would be one, if there would be a few, if not more, of people here tonight who have not made a decision to cast their life on you, Lord Jesus, let that happen tonight. In this time, in this moment, in this place, that they would find rest for their weary souls. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.